Hey there, and welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations about food and farming. I'm Jared Lumen, the Soil Health Lead for the Sustainable Farming Association, and today I'm excited to introduce you to our newest Soil Health team member, Jonathan Kilpatrick. My hope is to introduce you to him and his experience in this regenerative farming world and talk a little bit about what he does with us here at SFA and let you know how you can connect with him. So, Jonathan, welcome to the Dirt Rich Podcast. Thank you, Jared. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm excited to uh, introduce you to our listeners and and, and introduce uh, kind of what you've done. You've got a pretty unique uh, history and and background and and a lot of experience that I think is going to bring a lot of value to our team. So we're grateful to have you and grateful to have you on the podcast today. But uh, maybe you could start with talking about your your kind of origin in agriculture and what got you interested in going down this path of sort of regenerative ag and and grazing and and whatnot. And and then kind of follow that trail to where you are today. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think the best place to start for that would be grew up in suburbia in uh, Mm. central Massachusetts, actually. I was born in St. Louis, Missouri, and my parents moved to the East Coast because that's where their their parents were. And my dad took a job there. So um, and some people would remember the, you know, the Y2K, the year 2000 kind of crisis. Everybody or some people were thinking that the world was going to end. And so my parents took note and with a growing family, we were kind of living on an acre and a half and, you know, a neighborhood and they decided, Hey, it's time to kind of get out and maybe uh, find some land. And so we looked around Massachusetts to try to find something and they weren't able to find what they wanted. And so we started looking a little bit further and ended up in upstate New York. Uh, My dad took a job there. And so we ended up with about eight acres in upstate New York. And, um, it started as, uh, we just, you know, had a garden, got some chickens. I think I was about 10 years old and got my first, you know, 10 hens or so. And, um, started selling eggs for a dollar 35 a dozen. And it's kind of funny to think about that now, just with the way prices have gone. But so yeah, I had a little flock of chickens and we started like a big garden just for the family. And it kind of just grew to a fairly sizable market garden. And, being somewhat young and entrepreneurial, uh, my brothers and my two older brothers decided, Hey, we're going to start selling some veggies. And so there was a, a local farmer's market just around the corner, five minutes down the road. And uh, I think our first day there, we had maybe five heads of lettuce and two dozen eggs and on, on a card table and made $11. Wow. And that was the start of a fairly uh, sizable market garden operation. So anyhow, that's kind of like my start my two older brothers really kind of spearheaded the the vegetable operation. I was very involved and, but that kind of grew to a fairly large um, operation. And then I was always interested in livestock. Um, I raised dairy goats, I had pigs, had some cows, and that was just kind of my teenage years, you know, just very involved in agriculture, just um, kind of did that. And so it just kind of grew from there. I'm always fascinated by people who don't come from agriculture and find a way into it because you know, it's a challenge even to, as you know, someone coming from agriculture and a family farm to a lot of people, my brothers, two brothers wanted nothing to do with it. And, you know, it's a lot of work. It's very different lifestyle than probably the suburban lifestyle that you grew up with. And, you know, what was it about the lifestyle of agriculture and farming that your parents saw as appealing and that you guys decided was something worth pursuing? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, I don't know if I can fully answer that for them, but from my <laughs> yeah, from my perspective, enough. I think it was just kind of giving us some room to roam and give us some like responsibility 
you know, it's kind of hard to raise chickens and goats in, you know, in a neighborhood setting. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so yeah, I think it was just kind of getting us out and getting us into the country and just kind of esteeming that lifestyle and just, you know, a great place to raise a family. And, mm-hmm. and it's, yeah, it is interesting because, you know, not like my grandfather grew up on a farm. And so we always, as little kids listened to his stories and he always, you know, talked about the draft horses he had and, you know, butchering chickens and he worked, worked at a butcher shop and he had milk cows. So we, we heard those stories growing up. And so that was, that was an interesting, I think, part of it. And then I think we also were introduced uh, to Joel Salatin through a Smithsonian article back, I think in like 2001, 2002. And that got us really intrigued and we got his books and, you know, it was just a, just an appealing um, way to raise food and way to farm. And that kind of got us hooked. Yeah, well, that's a good kind of segue because, well, maybe it's not the the next step, but it, you found yourself eventually working at Solitans. Uh, is that was that the next kind of step in your journey? Yeah, so I'm gonna just back up a little bit because sure. I think um, yeah. it was a step in the journey. And I, um, growing up on the vegetable farm, I've told some other farmers that I've worked with since being with SFA, um, vegetable farms are often um, well they for the most part are pretty high input operations. There's a lot of nutrients needed. There's a lot of tillage. There's a lot of um, things we have to put into the operation to get the crop out. And oftentimes mm-hmm. you're doing crop rotations three to five times a year, depending on what you're doing. And obviously vegetable farmers, you rotate crops, but still there's a lot of tillage. There's a lot of input. And uh, there was one year I was, you know, uh, my late teens, I was doing this and I was realizing, you know, there's gotta be a different way, you know, I was handling, you know, I think at the time, I, the picture I have in my head is I was handling a big pallet of like fertilizer and, you know, high nitrogen fertilizers, organic um, mm-hmm. dehydrated poultry litter. And I was thinking, sure. why can't we get these, why can't we integrate livestock on this land? Like, why do we have to be buying this? And I think that just kind of got me started down this path. Like, how can we get these two segments of agriculture to kind of work better together? Um, you know, oftentimes you see your, your vegetable crop farms and then you see your livestock farms are separate. And there's obviously some food safety things we could go into, which that's, that's a whole other story. But so, yeah, that intrigued me. And I decided, you know, livestock's what I want to do. I just love the animals. I love working with them. I love grazing. And so, yeah, I applied for the internship at Polyface and ended up there as an intern in the summer of 2013. So, yeah, no, I'm glad you clarified that. That That's a pretty interesting insight at that age and stuff too, that I think makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's one of the beauties of, of livestock agriculture. And I had interviewed on, on this podcast in the past. I don't know what number it is for the listeners, but uh, Dana Burtness down in, in Spring Grove or Caledonia area, who had kind of a similar background, starting out working in vegetable production and then moving into a livestock, partly because of some health issues that drove her out of the physical labor side of the vegetable gardening, but because she saw the advantages of letting livestock do the work. You know, you can produce food in a way where animals can do the work for you and build soil in a little bit better way. And so it's kind of a neat insight to see, um, especially at at what that age would have been and stuff. But uh, And I think part of it too, we had some phenomenal mentors. Uh, the only reason we were able to do what we were able to do at such a young age. I mean, we were all teenagers uh, when we were doing this and um, we were running, or I shouldn't say myself, I got to give credit to my two older brothers for really doing it, but um, I was a part of it, Uh, but we were running a pretty sizable business by the end. And we had a CSA with 250, 300 members. Wow. Um, 
as kids <laughs> yeah i mean well you know late teens early 20s wow yeah. Yeah, yeah that's incredible we had eight full-time employees about 15 part-time seasonal help i mean it four to five farmers markets a week i mean it got it just it's kind of one of these like rags to riches it's not a rags to riches story yeah. i mean that's the wrong but you know you know what i'm trying to say yeah. it, it kind of just blew up um yeah. Yeah. and i think the timing and the place we were at in the marketplace was was just prime for that type of an operation sure so um what i where i was going with that is we had some really great mentors and everybody always told me like, you can't make money with livestock. You can't make money with livestock. You've mm-hmm. got to grow high dollar vegetable crops. You know, you're talking crops that are hundred <laughs> to $200,000 an acre, like spinach yeah. type things. Yeah. And me being a little bit like, I'm going to show you, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to show you how I can make money. Cause I was, you know, I was growing broilers. I was doing eggs. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, getting them processed and selling them to our customers. So I had a little side business going. Sure. So part of me was like, you know, there's got to be a way. I know there's a way we're going to figure this out. So yeah. I think that's part of my, my, uh, that piqued my interest in going the livestock route. Yeah. Well, you went to the right person, uh, the next <laughs> step, you know, kind of in, as far as, you know, seeing the value and, and generating high dollar value off livestock on land. Talk about that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, yeah. So like internship at Polyface, um, it's a phenomenal experience. Um, really high caliber, you know, you get a lot of opportunities there and exposure to things that you wouldn't get other places. Um, they really take a lot of time and to do education, to teach you very patient. You get to, you know, just learn a lot of, a lot of very valuable skills and they have a very, their approach is I think very unique, um, very low input. Um, they kind of pride themselves in that. And I think that's a really good lesson for a young farmer to learn. It's like, Maybe instead of asking yourself, how can I go buy a new tractor? Ask yourself, do I even need the tractor? Like, can I figure out how to do this without that piece of equipment? Or, you know, a lot of their land still is leased. Um, they, they own a lot more now than they did when I was there. But, you know, they, a lot of their operations occur on leased land. Mm-hmm. I think that's another valuable lesson. Um, so, yeah, completed the internship and was um, blessed enough to be chosen to be a, a year-long apprentice there. And so I completed a year long apprenticeship there. And, uh, so spent almost a year and a half working with them. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think is it Ben Beichler, who's your yes. friend that you kind of, I, I interviewed him on my other podcast, the herd quitter podcast. And he talked yep. about kind of that mindset that, that they have there of almost, uh, you know, almost constant mindset of like small startup bootstrap kind of almost, uh, I think kind of attitude. Sure. What, yep. what other things did you learn would you say a big takeaway is from their operation uh that one if there's any more to add to that but other any other other things you learned there yeah and i think like the context for their operation drives a lot of that and a lot of other operations that i've been on don't have you know the same context so they aren't able to do that but you know they have a lot of unfair advantages um and every operation has unfair advantages so i would say one thing it's you know, they have like, uh, I don't know, 400 acres of forest or so. So every building that we built, you know, every fence post, it came, you know, you took a chainsaw out and you built your own fence post, you split your own fence post. And now they had, you know, the labor to be able to do that with the interns, you know, that was what we did, but just the cost savings, when you start pricing that versus what you're going to pay. And then just in building a corral, like everything, they have a sawmill and, um, 
you know, put logs in the sawmill, turn them into boards and you can build a corral. If you price a new corral system these days, you can't even, you know, you can't touch it as a young starting out farmer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But what you can do is you can get something like a sawmill and you can use it to produce so many more things than just corral boards. So mm-hmm. I think that's, and there's, there's a lot of other examples, um, yeah. but that's, that's one that sticks out to me is they have this, you know, every operation has an unfair advantage and leverage that to your advantage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good point even to bring up and stuff. Cause I think a lot of people would just look and say, oh, you know, that Joel, he's got all these advantages and stuff, but you're right. Every single farm has something like that. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about, uh, just talking about this with somebody else, you know, I mean, think up in Minnesota here, we've got this winter and how horrible it is. And, you know, it's, that's our big challenge and grazing operations just don't work here because of our winter feed costs. But if you think about the West where they maybe don't have the snowfall and stuff, but every few years it seems like five out of every 10 years is a drought and several years you got to destock partly or even completely mm-hmm. destock i mean that's a pretty huge disadvantage and you look right. down at missouri and the southeast and stuff even further yet sure they don't have the winter uh, challenges that we do but those summers are tough on their cattle and stuff i mean mm-hmm. we've got a pretty moderate summer pretty high quality grasses no endophyte infected fescues yeah. you know, consistent rainfall i mean we've got right. some advantages here and stuff too and then we look at our own personal situations as well you know joel's advantage i guess would be his clout and his name that brings in a lot of labor and interns right. and you know that's yep. an advantage but we have all yep. got our advantages too i mean you probably met some farmers yep. and i know i have through sfa that you know, they've moved out to a farm from the city and they've got a huge network of people in the cities and jumping into a direct marketing enterprise is way easier when you've already got this massive network and, you know, everybody's got some advantage. Right. Yep. And you're exactly right. I was on a farm just yesterday and there's clearly some unfair advantages that they had. And some of them came from some good forethought and Mm. insight that he had already uh, been implementing, but um, Mm. yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, for everybody who says I can't do it, there's someone who's just did it. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's good. I like yep. that. I like that. Yeah. Anything else from your time there that we're sharing? Or yeah, I think it's um, important for listeners to to hear. I I went into Polyface, you know, having grown up on a farm. A lot of my fellow interns and apprentices, you know, maybe some of them had some agricultural experience, but like for for example, my wife, who I met met at polyface she had you know zero agricultural experience so or farming experience so i came into the internship with a lot more ability you know just to jump on a tractor go mow hay you know uh, they trusted me to do some stuff just because of you know having some farm experience Mm -hmm. coming into it but there was still so much that i got out of that because of the repetition and because of you know you know you learn a lot when you move cows a hundred days in a row versus just moving them once or twice. Like for the people who think like, well, you know, I've done that. I understand how to do that. There's, there's a lot of value to be gained by the repetition. A lot of times it's the, the, the joy of farming and like getting maybe good at a skill comes from doing it a lot. And so I think one of the things I remember taking away, especially from my apprentice years, you would feel like day after day, you're doing a lot of the same stuff, but you look back, couple months later, like, wow, I actually gained a lot of um, knowledge and experience doing this because of the repetition. Mm -hmm. So I think that's maybe, maybe an encouragement for folks who are like, oh, this is drudgery, but you know, (laughs) yeah, you know, you learn a lot when you do it day after day, year after year and you, yeah, just add a lot to your skill set. So 
that was one big takeaway from my apprentice year because essentially do a lot of the same things, but you do learn Mm -hmm. from it. So that makes a lot of sense. Actually, I can really see what you're maybe saying. I think back to, I helped a neighbor milk cows and I think I helped him two days and I'm like, yeah, I can uh, clean and add, you know, put a milker on and, you know, I, I've seen him wash the tanks and I could do it and stuff, but would he leave and me feel comfortable with it? Could I run a dairy farm? You know, no way, not a chance, but spend a hundred days there, pick up the little intricacies, the things that you don't just, you know, that he does that, you know, just a, an average once a month helper wouldn't do mm-hmm. and see. And, you know, there's a lot yeah. to learn in the, in the everyday mm-hmm. things that yeah you would only really get to pick up once you've mastered really mastered the day-to-day you know things so that right. makes a lot of sense I, I like yeah that. i think uh it's malcolm gladwell has a book called i believe it's outliers and he talks about that principle of ten thousand hours um right. where once you have your ten thousand hours in that's the kind of the benchmark for proficiency in a certain and you look across all aspects of culture, whether you're a hockey player or a, a ballet dancer or a farmer or, you know, someone in technology, like 10,000 hours is, seems to be about the amount of time to get proficiency for a certain thing. So I just, you know, it's, uh, I think it holds true yeah. for farming. So. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, cool. So, so why did you, uh, you leave, if you had this awesome farm back with your family in this market, you probably could have continued to expand your livestock enterprise there, uh, with the market sure. that they had built for your vegetables. What, what caused you to leave and, and go on to other things? Sure. So, um, one, one thing was, so my, my next oldest brother was kind of the principal operator owner and he made the decision shortly, or he and his wife, the family made the decision shortly after my time at Polyface to, uh, uh, move and uh, kind of shut the business down. They kind of had an agreement with another farmer operator to kind of continue it on, maybe sell out to them. Sure. But um, so they ended up shortly after my polyphase time. So that's one reason. The other reason is our land base there wasn't super, it wasn't the best maybe for livestock operation. We were kind of running on some high dollar land crop ground, which was sure. great for the vegetable operation, but um, some river bottom land that um, grew great corn. So we were kind of competing against dairy farmers for this, some of this land. So that's another reason. And I just kind of um, wanted to do something different, you know, just thought maybe try something somewhere else in a different climate. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So where'd you go? Where'd you go next then? So after my time at Polyface, I kind of took some time off. I worked, interned, you could call it, um, in Texas for about six weeks. Um, I actually was able to work with Jim Garrish's son at a grazing operation down there. Just, I really wanted to hone in further my grazing skills and also got to help out with the, uh, I was at Cobb Creek farm. So Mm -hmm. with those, those MRCs and kind of got to help build some of the first prototypes of that, that uh, model. For those not who aren't familiar with it, what do you mean? MRC? So the, yeah, sorry. Yeah. The mobile range coop, that's a, um, it's about a 600 bird, shelter for raising pasture broilers and they were kind of the first one i shouldn't say the first ones but the model they had really kind of took off and a lot of farms around the country adopted it and they were Mm -hmm. selling these units so got to help build some of those and kind of be part of the uh front end like experimenting and designing of that and you Mm -hmm. you know trying it out on pasture so that was really cool yeah we actually got one of those at our farm so yeah right yeah it's neat that you were kind of participating the early development of it (laughs) yeah so so that was interesting. So I, I did that for about six weeks and then I ended up, I landed back up in, um, back up at home 
and um, took a job managing a nonprofit farm in Vermont. So that was a really unique experience, you know, very different context. And we were up in the up in the mountains of Vermont, actually. So it uh, it snowed there about a month earlier than down in the valley. It was probably one of the most gorgeous places I've ever worked in my life. Uh, you just look out and you could look out across the Adirondacks into New York and wow. the foliage was just gorgeous in the fall. So did a lot of different things there. We did maple syrup, managed a team of draft horses, um, some chickens, farrowed some pigs, made hay, uh, managed a lot of some horticulture. You pick blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, mm-hmm. um, an apple orchard. So a really great experience and uh, also managed the educational program with uh, two to three apprentices a year that came to like live and work at the farm there and on the property. That was, that was a great experience as well. Cool. Yeah. Already starting to see how much you're willing to move and jump around. I mean, you're already (laughs) Massachusetts, New York, uh, Virginia, Texas, was it? And then then we're into uh, Vermont. Uh, What were some of the things you big takeaways from your time in Vermont? Yeah, it was a, is a different context for, you know, an agricultural enterprise in that it was more mission driven rather than, you know, profit driven or financial, you know, the financials didn't drive the decision making. So that was a, that was a new, new experience for me. I also, you know, I was the farm manager. I had to oversee all the facilities and the equipment. So I was doing kind of like everything. (laughs) So it was Mm -hmm. a, it was a big job, but it was really great. You know, I'd be, you know, fixing a tractor and then I'd be plowing snow or, doing repairs and maintenance on buildings. So I, I really was able to build my skill set there mm-hmm. as well as help them hopefully hone hone the vision for what they wanted to do with the the farm part of the operation moving forward. And then got to teach. You know, I had two apprentices my first year and then three the second year. Um, so, you know, teach someone coming in who had no farming experience or background and, you know, take them from this is, you know, how to run a post hole digger to teaching them how to mow hay and stack hay in the barn and, you know, stack hay in a wagon so it doesn't fall off. So yeah. it was really, that's, that's really fun for me and exciting to see someone come in and just progress in their skills and their confidence to being pretty nervous to drive a tractor to just taking it and being very proficient um, and safe with it. So that's a lot of fun. Awesome. All right. And as the next move, the Oklahoma trip <laughs> yeah so uh my wife and i got married and i decided we wanted to do something different so i ended up it was a good transition time there in vermont so i decided to leave that position and we got married and um came to oklahoma we needed you know needed a, a job and we're like okay well let's found this position online and uh we'll say well we have nothing to lose let's give it a try we were young just newly married no kids so we're like you know, we can go anywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So we did, and we went to Oklahoma. So, um, ended up being there four years. So, yeah. And that was a kind of like uh, my dad likes to call it my my residency or my master's degree in agriculture. <laughs> and I think he's he's right because it's four years, which is what a residency is for a doctor. So, yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah. So, and that farm. What was that farm? Or so ranch, yeah, we you called it. But. We. We did grass finished beef um, retail, and I added a, a pasture poultry enterprise doing broilers. Uh, we did hair sheep for for lamb and just selling the live animals. And yeah, that was basically what we did. When I came in, there was you know pretty pretty small marketing base. There wasn't really much going on. Maybe twenty thousand dollars a year or so in, mm-hmm. in sales. So it was pretty 
pretty small and um, we really focused on building the marketing. Um, we did some farmers markets and that ended up turning into a, kind of like a drop site. Um, we ended up growing the marketing base that just made sense to just do a delivery and not stand at a farmer's market. So that was kind of our goal anyhow. So conception to finish cow herd, which was a challenge. I'm not sure I recommend that to everyone, <laughs> but uh, it gave me a lot of experience. Yeah. And when were you responsible for managing every step along that process? Or did you have a team with you to you know, run the cow herd, the calves, the stalkers, the backgrounders, finishers, all that and the marketing? <laughs> Right. So I um, was managing for an out-of-state owner. He lived in Texas and this was, he came up on the weekend. So it was, a. Uh, so yeah, it was primarily myself. I did have a high school young guy that would come out and help me here and there with different sure. things, but it was, it was just me. Uh, my wife would pitch in here and there and help. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was, I was running it all. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, uh, it was a challenge. I really enjoyed it you know, something different every day, looking back, uh, <laughs> probably like, wow, I was a little crazy to try to pull all that off, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. you you live and learn. So, yeah, no. And that's probably gained a lot from it. I mean, you're doing the whole chain, you, you're managing some employees, but primarily managing it all yourself. And I guess, uh, you had some, ex- a little bit of experience in all of those things, but not a whole lot. Any, I mean, I guess, I mean, what, what would you, were you, yeah. was every bit of it a really like lesson learning educational thing or were any, were any things like, you know, this was an easy, I, I can, I can jump into this. I'll focus my learning on, on this piece or something. Sure. I think the marketing side of thing, while there's, you know, a learning curve with marketing me and the different aspects of how to handle and manage inventory and um, mm-hmm. work with the processor. I, I think the, the marketing probably was the, I'd had so much experience growing up, you know, we did farmer's markets and marketing vegetables and all that. So I think that kind of came um, easier than, um, or more naturally than some of the other things. And probably managing inventory for beef and meat where you can just throw it in a freezer compared to a vegetable is so much <laughs> easier where you have to deal with rotting a lot, a lot smaller, shorter, shorter <laughs> uh, uh, shelf life. That's that is very true, which is one reason that I enjoy the meat side of things because you can maintain and hold an inventory for a while, and you don't have to. It's not as perishable as long as so. That makes a lot um, of sense. <laughs> yeah, I would say like one of my favorite things to do, but also the most challenging thing is finishing a beef on grass and just grass. Um, but it's hands down my absolute most favorite thing to do because it is such a challenge and then just managing and watching and monitoring those those finishers as they're going and then uh, understanding where the grass is in its point of growth and how that's going to affect the weight gain of the animals um you know so that was that was probably by far my favorite thing but you know just managing all aspects of the life cycle of a cattle operation you know the bulls you know breeding calving uh, weaning all the way up to taking the beef to the slaughterhouse. I think that is, uh, it's a big challenge, but you know, it gives you a really opportunity to see the whole, the whole cycle. So yeah, I'm grateful for that. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, it's, it's, a uh, it's pretty cool what you were able to do and probably a good opportunity to learn a lot of those things on somebody else's dime and stuff too, but <laughs> it's, a uh, yeah, it's a good way to get into it. It is. Yeah. And I was, you know, very blessed to be able to, um, essentially run 
I didn't make all the decisions, but essentially run the whole operation, you know, down to the, the owner would hand me a, you know, a check and I would just, you know, write it out for the hay or whatever we needed to buy. So I, you know, mm-hmm. I was, you know, buying all the hay and kind of managing the grazing plan. And, uh, you know, it was really cool. I was able to really start stockpiling, you know, reduce our, our stocking rate and be able to stockpile some grass and really extend and cut our, you know, our fed feed cost by uh, a lot, about 50%. So that was really yeah. cool just to see how being able to do that. Um, and then we, we, at the same time, we grew the business from about, you know, $20,000 in sales to well over six figures consistently in wow. meat sales. Yeah. Um, and some of that is, you know, quarters and halves uh, mm-hmm. of beef and eighths. Um, we marketed about half of our beef that way, but that was really cool uh, to mm-hmm. see, um, to be able to grow that too. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and I think people can start to maybe figure out why you're a good fit for SFA and the work that we get to do is, I mean, you have experience with everything from production of smaller livestock species, pasture, poultry, to, you know, cow, calf production, grazing management, uh, education, nonprofit experience, vegetable production. You've got a wealth of experience. You're a good, good fit for our membership. That's so diverse, uh, up here in, in Minnesota. But, uh, you know, I guess talk a little bit about the decision to move to Minnesota and, and then what sure. you did when you got here and how you got connected with us. And Absolutely. And found you. So my wife and I kind of talked through the years we were down there and I should back up a little bit because we have two young boys and they were both born in Oklahoma mm-hmm. and we weren't, uh, my wife's family's from up here in Minnesota. And so we weren't super close. We had some family. Um, my wife's sister actually moved down while we were there. So we had some family in the state, um, but we kind of always talked about coming back up here, um, from time to time. Mm-hmm. And so the owner of the, the operation decided to retire from his other business and it kind of just was a natural, he decided he was going to take over the farm operation. And so my job wasn't really uh, necessary anymore. And we had thought about staying in the area. There was, you know, we had talked about maybe taking over the retail, the meat side of things and kind of starting our own operation, kind of buying the animals off of him and stuff. And, um, the more we talked about it and the more we, we learned, we just kind of felt like, man, this is a time to make a, you know, a radical change. Let's just do it. And so made the decision to just move up to move up here to Minnesota and um, see what we could do. And as soon as I knew we were coming to Minnesota, I, I like, I like networking and meeting other farmers. So I started making a list. I, you know, from visiting up here, I already knew a few names of people who were doing, you know, regenerative agriculture. And um, so I started making a list and um, I knew because I followed your other podcast, Jared, the Herd Quitter mm-hmm. podcast. So I knew you were up here. Um, and so I put, <laughs> you were one of the names on the list. And I think I even messaged you on Facebook when I knew we were coming up. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, hey, you know, when I get up there, I'd like to come by and see your operation and learn about what you do and learn about what it's like to farm in Minnesota. And so, yeah, so we made that decision, came up here. And then uh, not too long after we got up here, uh, ended up, I was at an event that you were at Jared and that's Mm -hmm. how we connected. And then it kind of just went from there. I didn't really know exactly what I was going to do for work when I came up, had some ideas and then you kind of connected me with SFA and now the rest is history, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so did you, was there ever any time, I guess in all of these moves and over the last several years, since you kind of got started that you thought, you know, maybe this agriculture thing is not the future, you know, that's maybe probably not the highest paying of jobs. Definitely sure. uh, in that ranch in Oklahoma was probably one of the most labor requirement jobs and stuff. I mean, a lot of right. work and, 
that you thought maybe I should just go get another job somewhere else? Or was it always kind of something you wanted to do when you even moving up here, you were intentional about getting right into the networks of the farming, you know, the farming networks? Yeah, I will say like with this last move, um, there was definitely that with our previous move from Vermont to Oklahoma, right after we were married, we didn't have, we didn't have, you know, two kids. So, you know, adding that dynamic really changes a lot of things. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I do, I do remember several times having conversations with my wife, like, is this really, is agriculture really like, am I cut out for this? Am I supposed to be doing this? Like there were, we had, we had thought kind of like being in Oklahoma was going to be a long-term thing. There'd been talk about maybe taking over that operation that we were managing there um, when that didn't pan out. There was obviously some disappointment about that. And so we was like, well, is this, you know, what we're really supposed to do? But my wife encouraged me. She's like, no, this is what you're cut out. This is what we need to be doing. This is what you need to be doing. And I just kind of felt a real, you know, assurance that, hey, I don't need to go just become a truck driver and drive truck. You know, I need to stay in agriculture. So, and then when the opportunity to work with SFA opened up, it, I was like, wow, this is kind of a, <laughs> a reassurance. This is what I need to be doing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was definitely a the temptation, I don't know if that's the right word to use, but there's definitely that like, ah, I don't know, maybe I'll just go get a easier job. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's not about that. It's, you know, agriculture is very difficult, but it's also the most rewarding. And mm-hmm. it's not necessarily about the money I make. It's, you know, the life lifestyle I want to live and uh, mm-hmm. the legacy I want to leave. And hopefully my kids will want to do the same. And hopefully we can build something that they'll want someday and they can take it over. So, yeah, cool. Well, I think that was a good, you know, I could have dug in deeper on every one of those stops for an hour, probably on each one, but uh, I think that's a good overview of your history and and what you bring. And and that's kind of what I wanted for our members to get as a, you know, get to know Jonathan here so that when, uh, so that they know kind of what they can reach out to you for. And it kind of sounds like if, if people have questions with anything from pastured poultry to direct marketing, to vegetable production, to cattle production and grazing and work and stuff, you're a good, good resource for them, which is why we, we think you're a really good fit here and we're grateful to have you, but um, thank you. I guess if people want to reach out to you, you know, here through, through our organization, through SFA, uh, how do they reach out to you? What are the things that you're doing here for work uh, that that you offer and that we we as an organization offer? And, and where can they expect to see you more, I guess, uh, over the next mm-hmm. few years and months and stuff? Sure. So I um, am, my title is soil health specialist. Um, I think that's a pretty broad title, kind of doing a lot of different things for SFA. I'm working on are collaborating with the the Kearns of Cap. I am, I'd say most of my work has been with the the grazing um, side of things and the livestock so far. So um, I'm going to be working a little bit with our you know communications team on some stuff. I'm going to be hopefully doing some uh, uh, work with video and try to communicate a little bit more about what help communicate what we do a little bit more to our members and our audience. Uh, so I think it's still being figured out a little bit what my role is going to be, but um, kind of kind of like a utility person, I guess is maybe the, the best way to describe it right now. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. And and just in general, you know, our members, we welcome people to reach out to us, to me, uh, to, to, to Kent, to Doug, to you. Um, if you have mm-hmm. questions, if there there's things that you're working towards that you, you could use some help at, say you're trying to start, get started building a, 
uh, direct marketing enterprise or you're you're trying to get started adding a pastured whatever you know pork poultry goat chicken whatever it is you know uh enterprise and, and you want some help you're not sure what you're doing uh reach out to one of us reach out to jonathan reach out to me um doug kent whoever our jobs are to provide resources and to help you the the member uh, the sfa right. member so right yeah yeah right and uh I'll be first one to admit, like every farm I step onto, like I learned something new. <laughs> I feel like the more, <laughs> yeah. the more, the more you learn, the more you realize there is to learn. So mm-hmm. yeah. I, you know, I've learned a tremendous amount. Just every farm I, it's, you know, learned something new yesterday. So on a farm, so uh, it's not always about what we know. It's sometimes who we know that knows what, what might help you. So um we can potentially put you in contact with somebody who's been in your situation or, you know, had a problem and figured it out. So yeah, that network is really strong. It is. I can ever be assistance to anybody. Um, feel free to reach out. Hmm. Yeah. Give me a call or send me an email. It's just Jonathan at SFA MN.org. Hmm. And then I am extension seven one two on the SFA number. So awesome. just call the main SFA number and 712. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much, Jonathan. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. It was uh, great to get to hear your story in a little more depth than even I had heard before. So thanks <laughs> and uh, look forward to, uh, to sharing more uh, in the future. Thank you, Derek. Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. We believe that agriculture done well heals. For more resources or to tap into the Farmer to Farmer Network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.